and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, we're talking about Edgar Wright's long-awaited horror thriller, Last Night in Soho. But before we do that, I'm bringing on from a dilapidated apartment in the, the Soho district, right above the Toucan Bar. I didn't live above the Toucan Bar. Did you even pay attention to the movie? She well, lived down the street from the Toucan Bar. She lived above not? Mrs. She lived above <laughs> Mrs. Collins, a sweet old lady. Rest in peace, Diana Rigg. Would you not want to live above the Toucan Bar, though? I'd like to live below the Toucan Bar because it just seems to keep going down and down. I actually wish that it was like that. That was probably my Irish biggest people. takeaway of the movie. Was like I was like. Dang, I really want to. I wish I had like a little like cool a little bar, like it's yeah, so cute. Just a little pub like that that was just like around the corner. For, and there, maybe there let me a, tell you, they're everywhere. And and especially yeah. this is London, but in Dublin, it's literally like you throw a rock and there's a place to get alcohol. And that's not even like a stereotype. Not all Irish people are drunk, but it is easy to get drunk in Ireland. Listen, before before we get into the meat of this episode, while we're on pub talk, I do have to say one of the things that kind of makes me sigh every day is when I like walk out of my apartment and there is what looks like a pub that existed at one point, but it's like the windows are boarded up and like no one uses it. And I'm always like, someone please just like buy this pub. And in Durham, that's called the pinhook. So <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be mean, guys, but your place looks condemned. Um well, welcome, Hunter Howman. Um, you are here not just because you were very excited to talk about Last Night in Soho, but also you and I were both at a film festival last week. Mama, and... I went to Telluride. Oh, Woo! no, sorry. Wrong one. My bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, we did kind of go to the Telluride of the South, I feel like, which is... I think kind of. I mean, I we like haven't gotten a fair any, assessment. Like, we haven't gotten any, like, premieres yet, but, I mean, it's a little, it's a little late in award season. It's definitely kind of the... Not, Film Fest 919, I would say, is a lot of times like the greatest hits album of like award season. That's that's a good way of, of, of talking about it is it's kind of like, you know, the, the greatest hits thing that you'd pick it doesn't up at have like, the everything. gas station. It's not going to have like, it's not going to have, you know, the super niche movies you care about that kind of like premiered at like the small parts of Toronto and Venice. But like the big movies and like a couple of like smaller foreign ones that will take you by surprise more than probably yeah. any other movies at the festival kind uh, of a nice little sampler of like those fall festivals with like yeah. a little can and a little sundance thrown in as well mm-hmm. a little berlin and this one as well yeah that's true um so you and i have gone to this festival i think we went the first two years we didn't go last year during their sort of driving COVID, pandemic yeah. um but you know it's a great tradition on every podcast i've done to to talk about this festival and before I've we been get on into- every episode too. I think. You have, yeah. Um, and I just before we get into like the meat of the movies that we saw, which many of which are going to be rolling out over the coming weeks. Um, some are already out. Some already out. Um, just kind of a shout out to everyone who put on the festival this year: Randy Emmerman and Carol Marshall, who uh, kind of I mean, the festival. It. I know, especially like a year like this, which is such a weird kind of in between year with like the COVID stuff yeah. and back to normal and just like you kind of wouldn't have known that sort of at the festival it really seemed like it was running pretty smoothly i would say oh i'm sure they were dying behind the yes scenes. behind I'm the sure, scenes i'm sure there was a lot of chaos i'm sure it was like a fire started every five seconds but from the outside couldn't tell for an absolute second that things weren't going swimmingly 
So I guess as as a fellow person who's gone to this festival many times before, what what was sort of the experience like this year compared to other years? You know, I, I think specifically in terms of kind of like the crop of movies we saw this year, which is usually kind of like a, a preview of what's ahead for yeah. the fall and kind of the awards season. Um, I mean, so I think one thing this year is that there were definitely less movies, but the movies they did have, I felt like were bigger hitters, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, getting Spencer as the closing night movie, I think was pretty major for them. And like, yeah. that's kind of the movie people are talking about this season, at least from my circles around like uh, film Twitter. But um, this year it definitely was a bit pared back because I remember in 2019, I lost my damn mind and I saw 19 movies over the course of the weekend and I wanted yeah. to die. Um, this year I only saw nine. I knocked out all of my work in like a couple days and like really didn't feel super overwhelmed with it. But with that, I found there were a lot less movies I disliked this year and there mm-hmm. were not a lot less movies I liked, but I gave out fewer five out of fives than I normally do. I did yeah. up one that I didn't think was one to one. So I actually have two at the festival, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's it, this year. It was definitely scaled back, which I think feels correct. I think if they mm-hmm. had went fully full force with it of like, you know, I don't know. It wouldn't have felt fully right but also i don't see how they could have done it with the slate of movies this year and that's not on the fault of them that's literally just on the fault of like we're still recovering from covid it's still not back to normal so um yeah i i I, along with you of i i think this was kind of like a um i think this had the best sort of like like if i think of like the average score of the movie like if you know like if you were to like tally like a what rating for every movie that you saw and then kind of like come up with like an average score. I think this is maybe like the, the I'll back myself up. I think there was a more consistent like quality of movies this yeah. year than I think any other year that I've gone, but kind of agree with you of like, I don't think I saw, I think you and I each saw something that I think we were a little bit mixed on, but I don't think we saw anything that we were straight up. Like I didn't like that, but also yeah. I agree with you if they were probably only like, two movies that i saw in the festival that i walked out of and were like oh my god that's like one of my favorite things i've seen all year and i don't think that's a bad thing but i i think there was there was a more consistent kind of like walking out of most movies being like that that was like either solidly good to like really good and and few things that i would say like knocked my Uh, socks off but yeah hardly anything that i would say i walked out of and didn't like at all yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, you, we weren't getting, you know, the favorite and Roma and all that at, you know, one time and one day, but, or, like, you know, Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like, all during one day. But right. I also didn't have any Baccarat's in there, either, so. Right, right. You know. no, no Jojo Rabbits that it felt no. like people were kind of, like, arguing about in the, the sort of bar afterwards. Yeah, so, uh, definitely more consistent, um the highs and the lows were a little bit more pulled in and mm-hmm. I agree. I think there weren't, I don't think there was anything I walked away saying don't see that. Yeah. Because even the thing, even like my least favorite movie of the festival, I'm still like, it's, it's a spectacle. Like, yeah, we're seeing, you know? So, and so, yeah, I had a, I had a great time with it this year. And even if like, even if the movies felt scaled back and the festival obviously physically was scaled back it didn't feel Mm -hmm. like 
like last year where I was like, oh, I'm missing out. It still yes. felt it's felt more like two years ago than last year, which is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we should probably first start off our conversation about the festival talking about the the audience award, which is given out every year. And it's yeah. always fun to sort of like um, predict and try and guess what what the audience yeah. award is going to be. You and I were sort of both right, although we we both had like two different movies that we thought were going to be the audience award, but we that for the first time ever it was a tie. A tie. The audience award tied between um, King Richard, which is the movie about Venus and Serena Williams. Which I thought, up. which I fully thought was going to get the yeah, audience that was, award. That was your prediction, um, and it's about you know their experience growing up and their relationship with their father who's played by will smith in the movie my prediction was come on come on which is the new movie from mike mills who made beginners and 20th century women and basically stars joaquin phoenix as a i guess npr journalist it's not really important like what he does but i guess that's his job and i just he, thought he was a podcaster he's something with like audio but basically the movie is joaquin phoenix um it, the relationship between him and his nephew in the movie and his estranged sister has to leave suddenly. And so Joaquin Phoenix has to watch over his nephew for a few weeks and the bond that kind of grows with them. Um, both interesting, you know, both movies I think were like, I thought were like solidly good. Um, I think both the two most feel good movies, I would say of the festival oh, of just yeah. sort of like a warm kind of hug of a movie as well as Petite interesting... Maman was also what was also pretty warm yeah, as well. Yeah. But like I don't and, think And I think all three of those like it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, I think all three of these two, like especially Come On, Come On and King Richard, you know, movies about parenting, I think, in a very like big way. And about the relationship between adults and yeah. children and what it's mm -hmm. like to raise a child and have expectations for a child. Um yeah. were, were there any other reasons where you think felt like these two movies in particular kind of like captured the the audience there for this year um king richard i just think like biopics that you can like look and see like i know that person in real life it's not like you know mm -hmm. like mank where you're like i don't really know much about these people but i'm going into this movie it's more like mm -hmm. i know i i know exactly who venus and serena are i know like what you know maybe not the full story but i know how like this came to be or what it ended up becoming mm -hmm. um also i just think um it's just a very feel-good movie but it's like a better feel-good movie in the sense of just the the inspirational nature of it it's not mm -hmm. as like push it in your face as much as it is just sort of natural in it which i think speaks a lot to the actual story being told as opposed to maybe the filmmaking going on but i kind of fell prey to its charms and also i think like a good beyonce song over the credits really does make <laughs> everything feel complete and that makes people walk away like oh. so yeah and it, like i mean that's the thing too it's like will smith is a crowd pleaser mm -hmm. he's a massive crowd pleaser and i think the, this the is best one of... use of him i think in a movie yeah. in a long time and and certainly like you know typically when will smith tries to go into his oscar zone i think he can kind of get a little you know, collateral beauty right he can sort of bury that charisma that makes him so fun to watch on screen in 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 the you know in the pursuit of being like serious and important but i, I feel like this movie kind of leans into his charisma 
and um well, let's makes... him act it doesn't yeah. make him just be will smith but serious it's like he has an actual role that he has to play here that's not just a slight deviation on what we usually know will smith to be which mm-hmm. has become kind of the thing i would say in the past decade or so mm-hmm. and i can't say i blame him because like if the money is coming you know go with it but yeah it definitely this time felt more like a concerted effort on his part to actually tell a story right and like not just be the famous face at the center of it it mm-hmm. felt more it felt more reverential to the t- to like the subjects both yeah. richard and venus slash serena williams yeah, I'll be interested to see like what the larger public thinks of that movie when it comes oh, out. Oh, people here, are gonna here in fucking love it. I mean, yeah. people are gonna eat it up, and it's it's coming right before Thanksgiving on HBO Max. Like, yeah, I it's, think it's, it's, it's it is the kind of movie that I can imagine like my family Thanksgiving sort of like sitting around yeah. and watching of like it 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 kind of checks so many boxes yeah. for kind of like a feel good mainstream movie with a yeah. big movie star at its center. And again, like people know venus and serena they know like what they've become they see them playing today and continuously being the best in their sport best of almost any athletes out there so being able to tie it to something that's going on today too that is still incredibly relevant is also like keeping it relatively recent relatively fresh to where older and younger people who you know maybe don't know their full story or weren't there from the beginning people still know going into it i think that's a big boon to its success or it will be yeah and i think i i I think there will be um a warm reception to come on come on as well um just a different more yeah a much more kind of niche yeah indie audience but you know certainly the screening i saw it in because i saw uh king richard at um sort of like drive-in opening so i didn't really get the audience reaction but come on come on i can definitely say there were um you know a, a lot of audience members i heard sort of you know tearing up and um you know blowing their nose and and kind of saying afterwards like what a what a sweet movie and stuff so i i think we'll find a different kind of audience but for similar reasons of is a kind of like warm bath of a movie that you know has like a cute kid in it and has cuddly walking phoenix not weird yeah. joker walking phoenix which i tend to like a little bit more same and i would say like i think come on come on definitely markets itself to quote the a24 audience but i don't Mm. think it's one of those a24 films or adjacent where you kind of it that's like a a mandatory thing that you have to be a part of i don't think that like just film bros are gonna watch this and be like oh i love that it's definitely a lot more universal that's kind of mike mills for you i think the fact that it's produced by a24 and is shot and like 1.66 to 1 black and white i think Mm -hmm. uh, initially might put people off to thinking that the film is a lot more self-important and like artsy than it actually is when in reality i think that sort of intimacy and that sort of like scaled backness with the monochrome like approach to it actually helps the film and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel pretentious and i can't really imagine the film looking any different way now and You know, I think there's a lot of things that from the get you can kind of look at Come On, Come On and be like, okay, like, let's, all right, film Twitter, let's just get this over with. But then you see it and you're like, oh, there we go. Okay, I get it. I totally mm-hmm. get this now. It's 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 just about the story. It's not about, like, the aesthetics or, like, trying to impress a certain audience. Yeah. 
And and I mean, it is a movie that sort of is trying to be both kind of this. I think it works best when it when it is this sort of intimate uncle and nephew story. Yeah. Um. But you know, it also is a movie that I think has these larger ambitions with like the the interviews that the Joaquin Phoenix character is conducting with other kids and being like about the wonder of children and like what they think about the future and how maybe like children are more attuned to the truths of life than us adults are and that kind of stuff. So it, it is a movie that both is sort of like operating on this sweet, intimate scale while also, you know, I, I might not think those ambitions quite work as well as the sweet, intimate moments, but mm-hmm. it is certainly a movie that I think has like ambitions to be about something even sort of yeah. larger than like, you know, this, this sweet kind of, uncle nephew story at its center um yeah the more i'm thinking about it the more that i i keep realizing there's so many other movies that were also about parents and kids at this festival um you and i both saw mass from sundance which is is certainly a a uh a, a, a very different kind of movie about um the relationship between parents and and their children um if anyone doesn't know what this is i believe it's out in theaters now and is about um the aftermath of a school shooting and these two pair or these the sort of pair of parents that meet afterwards at a church to discuss all of the sort of thorny feelings that they have in in their hearts and in their minds um one of the parents is one pair of the parents is um the parents of uh the shooter the others are the parents of one of the victims um i would not say this is a very like easy sit but i found it like very powerful in in places and I for think how minimalist the... it is and play like yeah. it is it's i mean it's basically like a great stage play that you're watching on yeah. screen essentially which i think was its initial like goal but i just don't mm-hmm. think that it got if I'm correct, I heard from someone that it just didn't get the correct funding mm. as a staged play to get uh, to get produced. And it ended up being a smaller indie film, which I think for the most part still works um, and has some, I think, gives it a better opportunity to really get up in the actors' faces and, like, get the subtleties of it that you wouldn't get in a stage mm. play. In a stage play, everything has to be big. You have to be able to see it from the back row and... I think in a film and especially with something this quiet and like really introspective that it works a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I will say um, I'm having a big issue lately with movies changing their aspect ratios when they fully <laughs> don't need to. I've had, I had a problem with it with a movie we're going to talk about later uh-huh. in the podcast. And this one, I'm like, why does this need to be in like, like 2.55 to 1 for the last like third of the movie it doesn't make that much sense i get i get where it was cut at to like Mm -hmm. make it feel tighter and more constrained it doesn't mean i like it Mm -hmm. same thing like at least french dispatch it's like okay there's some there's some stylistic changes between the stories but also Mm -hmm. like you know it's not like this is this isn't wes anderson's first rodeo in like testing that medium out as well i'm just finding that a lot of filmmakers now are doing it when they don't i just it just feels like they are trying to say something stylistically and they just don't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. um and that was like the one that was like the one thing where i was like oh okay you kind of lost me a little bit but it's such a small stylistic thing it never lost me thematically or 
from any of the perspective of the fucking actors in this. I mean, with a capital yeah. A. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I remarked to you as we were, like, walking out of, like, that could have, it could so easily be a movie that's overwritten and overacted, but, yeah. uh, you know, I credit to, like, the, the sort of quadrangle of, did I just use a real word? Whatever. The four people at the, like, you know, center of this movie. It's called a rectangle. A rectangle. <laughs> I was trying to be, use a, use a fancy word. Um, My English teacher would be appalled. Uh, Anyway, but, you know, I think it's a testament to, like, the, you know, the four people at the center of this movie that are are able to sort of hold the tension and and sort of have this kind of propulsive narrative in the movie. But they're basically just sitting around a table talking and and are able to kind of hold all these complex emotions about grief and guilt and forgiveness and regret and and have it feel like this really like weighty emotional thing that feels nuanced without sort of being like bombast and actors screaming and crying yeah and i think it's it's really expertly paced in that like uh, like the first i'd say what half of this movie they're all they're pretty polite and cordial with each other mm-hmm. it's very like thank you so much for being here we really appreciate your cooperation with this um we hope everything today goes well and by the end it's not screaming and crying it's not like an episode of real housewives or anything but like right. it definitely things get more candid and way more intense and in just how much how like frankly they are talking about the murder of one of their children the suicide of one of their children after Mm -hmm. that child committed said murders it's like it doesn't shy away from it that being said i also really appreciate the fact that it is so minimalist because i think as a film it could be so easy for them to like inject flashbacks in there or make it like you Mm -hmm. know make it cinematic or like show what their reaction was the day of or like do a sequence you know where we never see the kids in this movie no never and i think it's so great that it, it it keeps you in that room of like they can't leave this room and like yeah we have to it is sit in claustrophobic there yeah. it is incredibly claustrophobic and like not uncomfortably so where it's like oh god i just like it's not like such secondhand like shame or uncomfortableness where you just like want to throw up it doesn't give you quite a pit in your stomach but it definitely just makes you like squirm just a little bit of oh i would not like to be any of these four people for a whole bevy of reasons yeah uh so two other movies of like very clearly i think about parents and kids you and i both saw uh petite maman which is the new film by french director celine siama who made uh the wonderful portrait of lady on fire from a couple years ago um i think you and i both like this movie while this is this is you know it's a it's a it's a um a spoonful of sorbet in between kind of like courses if that makes sense it's a very kind of like light movie by her well we saw it in between mass and spencer so like of course it wasn't of course it was gonna be that so like it definitely um it felt very slight mm-hmm. particularly as a follow-up for portrait of a lady on fire which was my favorite movie of the festival two years ago mm-hmm. um but like there's still a lot to love here there's this really cool sense of like wonder of like children wandering through the forest and kind of creating their own fantasy worlds with it without mm-hmm. having to create a 
CGI filled fantasy like Lord of the Rings like world or whatever like Bridget Terabithia type shit there's magic in it it is but like but there's also not but there is but like yes but not in that way it's 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 like yeah it's like the feeling of magic without necessarily like like huge production signifiers to no. the magic that's had and that's how much of I, this movie do you want to explain to people because i kind of don't know i don't want to i mean granted yeah. if you speak french the the game is given from right, the title true. kind of but like if you let it's just about it's about a girl who loses her grandmother and they're cleaning out her grandmother's home and it becomes a little too much for her mother whose mother was the one who passed and she disappears and well doesn't disappear but leaves for a little yeah. bit and during that interim uh our main character nelly she is uh kind of wandering the woods behind her grandmother's house and discovers another little girl back there who is um building a fort where she was looking for her mother's fort and they uh form a friendship back there and things are just very magical and a little not real unrealistic it's all very realistic but it has this fantasy twist to it that is Mm -hmm. really cool and really just heartwarming as well so uh that's about all i'll say on it it's also not that much you really can say on it it's only 72 minutes with credits so like you know it is a quick almost short film of a movie it definitely like because it's so short and kind of to the point i was like okay this might be like an in-between movie for siama before she goes and does like another powerhouse or something um but like with that i mean there's still those really beautiful directorial flourishes of both celine siama but also cinematographer claire mathon who also shot portrait of lady on fire she also saw spencer which we saw mm-hmm. at the festival and it, it it still has that really open dreamlike feeling with it without having again having to go overboard with it or make it so much more in your face than it has to be and i think because of that it almost becomes more universal because with it you can imagine yourself in the situation of nelly as opposed to you know someone who experiences some high fantasy you know high production value thing granted that's not to say this doesn't have high production value it's just very scaled back Mm -hmm. and so there were definitely parts where i was like this is very light-handed for what i expected from her next film but at the same Mm -hmm. time there was nothing about it where i was like you know that's that feels wrong or that i don't like that it was just kind of like maybe it just maybe it was just my own expectations yeah it's it's a very i think charming short sweet movie um the the last one i'll mention in this sort of like lumping together movies at the festival about parenting um i saw the lost daughter which is going to be coming to netflix in december this is maggie gyllenhaal's directorial debut um i did not know anything about this movie going in so i'm 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 not going to sort of spoil necessarily what this movie is about, but I guess if you want a teaser, I think there's a a literal trailer teaser out for it. Um, but it stars Olivia Coleman. Um, also has in it uh, Ed Harris and um, who else is in it? Uh, Dakota Johnson's yes, in it. Yes. Jesse Buckley. If you, yes. if someone had told me that Jesse Buckley was in it, I would have made time to see it. Yeah, I did. I only knew I Olivia Coleman was in it going yeah. in. Um, yeah, because they only had that one photo from it. Also, Paul Mescal from 
ordinary people as well. I know That's a lot of right. people like mm-hmm. him too. No, if I had known Jesse Buckley was in it, I would have gone in. I love her. I just found out she's going to be the protagonist in my next in the next game in one of my favorite video game series. So, oh. yeah, they get what big actors. Um, yeah, I I I I quite like this movie. Um, it is definitely as we've been talking about you know, movies about the love of parents and children. I would say this is a movie about parents and children that is maybe about some more complicated emotions that I would not describe as love and more about sort of the the fear of what you, you're having to give up in life when you have children. That's about what I'll say, but I'll, I'll be really fascinated to hear like what you think of it specifically. Um, Cause it, and it probably is best experience knowing next to nothing about it. Um, I, I thought Olivia Coleman was quite what a what a run she's just having. But, yeah, and also I mean, this is a much darker role than I think we're typically used to seeing her in, which will be interesting to see what people think about it. Yeah, because I mean she's always kind of like light and airy and charming, mm. and I think something a little bit darker might throw people, despite the fact that a lot of her earliest roles, like Broadchurch and mm-hmm. uh, like her little, she was also one of the many voices and um stephen knight's lock the one with tom hardy mm-hmm. he's like she's a voice on that that was one of the first things i ever heard her in ruth wilson andrew scott tom like a very young tom holland like mm-hmm. you know big uh big voice cast with that but um she's done dark stuff before but she's had the run of like lighter airier roles even if they are within darker films like her mm-hmm. in obviously the father that's an incredible mm-hmm. one of the scariest movies i've ever fucking seen but like she's very light and charming and not as you know she mm-hmm. does not provide the darkness of it but um yeah i i enjoy her and i also i mean that's just a killer cast i really don't know why i didn't see it yeah um... i don't know what i saw instead i can't remember well, let's talk about some of the other stuff. Do we maybe want to talk about some of our favorite things that we saw? I think we each had two movies we saw that we yeah. really loved. Um, I guess we should talk about the one that we both really loved, which we kind of hinted at earlier, which is um, Spencer, the new movie by Pablo Lorraine about um, Princess Diana and starring Kristen Stewart as giving just like, I I don't know about you, I kind of like chuckled a little bit to myself like when she first appeared was curious what her take on princess diana was going to be and then when 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 she like fully lets it out and fully like reveals herself on screen i just kind of chuckled a little bit of like oh i i i see where we're going like yeah she's she's going big and doing like every manner which is normally not a kind of performance that i really like but i think works for how kind of Yes, Hunter is doing like every like dramatic look and kind of like eye turn. I just think of that. I just think of the scene, the one that's on the post or the new poster, um, where it's like her coming out of church with the yes. veil over her face, the to the to the paparazzi. It's just very it is big face acting and big yes. like and that. Re- but in something like it Pablo, works, but in something like a Pablo Rain film, which if you think like of Jackie, mm-hmm. it's very similar. Of like you get those really close up shots of Natalie Portman, who is giving a similar performance. It is a lot. It is right. like I just, uh, just Jackie. It's like yeah, very, <laughs> very breathy and like oh my god, she's doing the Jackie Kennedy to end Jackie Kennedy's, and that's kind of how like Kristen Stewart's doing it here, to where it's a lot, but also it 
both works and is kind of genius at the same time. Right. It doesn't feel like I'm doing the kind of like deep method acting version of Diane. I am like doing the sort of like, what is the kind of like the cultural signifier of Diana? Yeah. And I'm going to play up all those mannerisms, but that I think people it also will absolutely identify with because they're seeing yes. the Diana that they kind of want to see. But I mean, not really though. There are, she definitely has character flaws on this. She's right. not played up as a saint. That being said, it's kind of easy to look like a saint when you're next to the royal family, especially in the early nineties. Um, right. Yeah. So, I, I think I think that the performance also works because this movie is so heightened and paranoid and like dreamlike. Yeah. Very. And, I mean, that really always the way in which it's shot. I mean, like I said before, to keep my mom Claremathon cinematography, mm-hmm. it's always it's very hazy and dreamlike, and then it's also just bolstered. I was a little upset that Mika Levy wasn't returning after mm-hmm. Jackie, but Johnny Greenwood's score. Oh in this my is god, <laughs> so good! It's almost like film noir, like yeah, it's very jazzy and like or you know, or like assaultive in the way that some Radiohead songs can be like very oh, assaultive yeah. in, in sonically to listen to. I kind mean, of I, a, just give him the Oscar now. <laughs> yeah, for it's it's really one of the best scores. I mean, I think it's going to be down to him and probably Hans Zimmer. Zimmer, yeah. Dune, which like we'll see where that goes. I think Academy voters might be a little bit more attuned to this, but also Hans Zimmer yeah. is like the name and they've already snubbed right. Johnny Greenwood before so um but yeah i mean if he wins for this it's definitely like i'm accepting this as both your spencer oscar as well as your phantom third one as well yes um but and speaking of threads jacqueline duran's costume design is this is a character in and of itself yeah yeah and it's like a whole it literally is like it is a whole mm -hmm. thing about how she is not wearing the outfits that she needs to wear on the certain days that they set them out for her it is genuinely an entire plot point in the film and it's so genius because it gives them that chance to really go hard on it because when you think of diana the first thing you think of her tragic death and you think of the looks and she Mm -hmm. has looks in this and it's all i mean granted it takes place over the course of 48 hours so there can't be Mm -hmm. that much but yet there is (laughs) yeah they give a good they give a good smattering of diana in this and it's just everything is so lush about it it's just like sumptuous and just like a just like a really rich dessert of a movie where it's like it's pretty it's pretty brief and to the point but like oh in that moment it's so good yeah, and I'm I'm definitely not the first person to make this comparison I'm about to make. I think the first time I saw it was, I think it was Sean Finnessy at The Ringer tweeted something similar to this. But the movie, I, I, w- I have to say, I think there's going to be a lot of anticipation for this. It seemed our audience like really liked it, but I think there's a lot of anticipation. And I'm just going to warn people, it's not The Crown. It's something much no, more it's abstract. No, ja- it is so much more, it's so much, that's what people need to realize is that it is so much more like Jackie than The Crown. Right. And that it takes those like liberty, those cinematic liberties of like, there are whole like hallucination sequences in this mm-hmm. movie of her like, thinking of doing awful things because she is so pushed to the edge by these fucking people who are like uplifted in society so high, despite the fact they're all just assholes. Yeah. Um, and and but, I mean, the, the example I was going to tie in is like the movie I couldn't stop thinking of the entire time watching this was the shining. 
Like, I think that would be like a fun double feature because they are both movies trapped about, in a house. Yeah, trapped inside this giant mansion. The way the camera moves throughout the mansion or palace, and you know, the people the shining, who are trying to kill her. Right. This specifically this feeling of isolation and going. You know, here in Spencer, it's much more of a sort of abstract sense of isolation because you can't connect to the people who you are sort of trapped in this house with and you have like the paparazzi watching you constantly as opposed to like the physical isolation of the shining but this feeling of isolation and going mad makes me love it even more yeah thinking about it and a person slowly losing their mind and slowly like losing their grasp on like reality and there's a kind of ghostly aspect to this movie as well well i mean she literally sees the ghost of anne boleyn walking around the house like there's definitely like it is almost it is does feel like one of those more like romantic ghost stories despite Mm -hmm. the fact there's no real actual romance in this that's Mm -hmm. kind of the whole point of it is that it has has long since died at this point yeah so um, I I don't know I think we we both really love this I think I this was one it. where we were we were getting into the final night and we were like there's so much anticipation for, I think this was easily the most anticipated movie of like it was the only one that I went to, to that was sold out yeah they, it was a totally packed house for this um and it 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 lived up it was like yeah I think I it's one it was of the fabulous. best movies of the year yeah. it comes out next week at the theater that I work at and yeah um, I'm definitely taking my mom to see it for free she's so mad at me I got to see it before her. So, what was the other movie that you really, really loved at at uh, this festival, which I did not get a chance to see? Um, so my other favorite, hands down. I mean, it is one that has abs. Maybe not hands down. Spencer might still be my favorite, but mm-hmm. one that has stuck with me to the point that I raised its score to a perfect five. Honestly, is Joachim Trier's "The Worst Person in the World," mm-hmm. which is another release coming from Neon. I saw a lot of Neon movies at this festival, actually. Um, Good year for that studio. Yeah, because I Bravo, saw guys. I saw Spencer, I saw Worst Person in the World, Petite Maman is going to be mm-hmm. Neon and Akiara, and then not to mention Titan also came out, and the only reason that wasn't at the festival was because it already came out. And um, uh, Flea, which which I saw. Oh, Flea, and, I didn't see you Flea. Didn't. Yeah, yeah, and so, is, um, is very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Worst Person in the World, it's a uh, Norwegian kind of comedy like a romantic comedy but it has really heavy elements to it as well and i was sucked in by it pretty much from the start because it is about a girl having a quarter life crisis and god damn it if that is not what i am feeling 100 percent right now uh she is a her name's julia uh mm-hmm. julie pretty much um but she's a a med student and then she decides she doesn't want to be a med student anymore and she wants to go into psychology so she's a psych student a master student um and then she decides she didn't want to do that either so then she goes and wants to be a photographer she doesn't really like that either so then she wants to be a writer and in between all of those things it goes through all of the relationships that she has including one with like an older man who's not that much older he's 44 she's like 29 and uh, it digs into their expectation of like when they want to have kids when they want to do that etc etc and it goes through about four years of her life just trying to figure out who she is and what she wants because she's confusing herself every five seconds of like i am happy doing this but i want something else and it doesn't make sense but i'm not going to try to rationalize it and that spoke to me very heavily of like she doesn't know what she's doing in terms of like even just her actions of like 
this person that you are trying to impress or get to absolutely doesn't care about you as much as the people around you are but i'm not gonna really you're not an annoying character because i get that like feeling of stuckness or like wanting to feel wanted even if it's like by someone who can't make you feel like that more than the person you currently have it's just a lot it is a lot but also at the same time it is really fucking funny Mm -hmm. it is hilarious it's broken up into 12 chapters and they're all about like eight to ten minutes each um very short there are some that are a little bit longer but it breaks it up in such a way that it hits kind of every like beat that you would expect from something like this but in a way that feels a lot more um like evenly paced Mm -hmm. and i also just what i like about it is going into it i was kind of expecting like a very when i think of films like this in american society or media like this my first thought is something like girls Mm -hmm. where it's like we're in our late 20s and we don't know what we're doing and we're quirky about it in reality they're just all awful people and they're really annoying (laughs) Uh uh-huh this i was fearing that going in i was like oh no she's about to be an annoying character she's about to like look how awful i am i'm just the worst person in the world but uh-huh. it's not that it's absolutely not that the the title is in reference more so to just like how her conflicting feelings or conflicting actions and feelings about her life simply make her feel shitty as opposed to her actually being a really shitty character i loved it i loved all of it even like it it kept a really good pace it never felt like it fully ran out of steam when it started to feel like that a little bit it came right back and introduced something new it kept things really fresh and interesting and i just felt really emotionally attached to this movie in a way that i don't think many movies about people this age group particularly in western or like maybe not western american or english language culture can really get that well without going overboard it's really evenly measured and that is just it kind of blew me away because i wasn't expecting any of that well i'm i'm definitely really excited to see it um so good i don't know when it's coming out they haven't dated it they haven't dated that they haven't dated akiara they haven't dated petite maman they have like neon's dragging their ass on this and like it's literally november So my other favorite of the festival, which I think you were a bit more mixed on, was Red Rocket, which is the new movie from um, Sean Baker, who made uh, The Florida Project and Tangerine. Um, You and I briefly got a a chance to uh, talk with uh, Chris Burgoat, who co-wrote the movie with him. Lovely. Uh, Yeah, very sweet man. Very funny in the sense that, like, I, I think we knew that this movie had gotten some walkouts at um, yeah. Telluride. And he he's very, very hyper aware and is so proud. He, he wears it on his sleeve. Right. Was very, very, I think, you know, polite and a little bit like we were like, you know, we're excited to see the movie. And he's like, oh, that's that's sweet. You know, like, it's OK if you guys like don't like it. And, you know, like, I know it's a bit much for some people and like da 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 da. And and we I think we're a bit like, yeah, it's 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 OK. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like um, we're 25 trust me we're or like yeah you're older but i'm a little sorry, older but sorry, old. still <laughs> um but it's like listen we're all like millennials slash gen z here like we can take it and like it definitely like 
it was a lot, but it wasn't so it's, much so that I was like shocked and appalled and offended. Yes. There was a little part that I was a little uncomfortable with, but like, yeah, that's I, I can certainly thing. see this is a movie I'm sure will, when it is out in the world, will probably shock and appall some people. Um, you know, I, I described it recently with some people as like, this is a much, 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 much smaller movie and it is a very different kind of movie in ter- well, maybe not ultimately, but you know, it's similar. I think it'll get a smaller muted version of kind of what happened when something like Wolf of Wall Street came out and of like, this is a movie about a terrible person or terrible people and is like not shying away from their destructive, debaucherous behavior. Yeah. And it is a, I like, I think hilarious dark comedy, but it is also like really, really like towing the line of like how uncomfortable and how shocking it is willing to be. I mean, the, the story of Red Rocket, basically it stars former MTV DJ and a uh, star of the scary movie series, Simon Rex. And what I like about you also, let's not forget art <laughs> imitates life in this movie as well yes. i'm not gonna go any further than that because <laughs> i didn't i don't know i tried bringing it up but it's fine uh, uh yeah simon rex basically playing a a washed up porn star who returns back to his hometown in uh texas and texas city uh, texas and essentially is like trying to get his life back on track but you know is a a blatant narcissist who basically um both literally and metaphorically fucks over everyone in the town for his own gain and i just thought this was like a hilarious dark comedy on just like american narcissism and you know i this is a movie i'm excited to talk more about with people when they get to see it because like i i think as people kind of try to talk with the uh about in the q a afterwards you know there's a political angle that i think you could take with this movie i think it works regardless of whether or not you want to read into that this is like a trump era allegory but i i think just as a movie about like unchecked id and kind of like me 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 i just want to like fuck over everything like it it is and and just sort of like get ahead in the world and have no concern for any of the people around me I, I thought it was like incredible, really, really funny. I think like I I would be skeptical if this is the kind of movie that Academy voters would go for and oh, like, nominate hell. Simon Rex. No, but ma'am, it should Florida, happen. Willem Dafoe getting nominated for the Florida Project was a goddamn miracle. I yes. mean, so I mean, this I think uh, Spirit Awards it will definitely. definitely. Yes. I mean, it already got nominated for Gotham, so like yes. it's already on that track, and that tracks with sean baker's previous performances he is very well loved at the spirit awards and yes. like you know and has, also has really emerged as one of the like key indie darlings he of does, the last five or six i years. said this in my review i wasn't as crazy about this movie to be completely honest i didn't mm-hmm. dislike it but like yeah. it just didn't hit with me in all places um that being said i did mention first line of my review Sean Baker and to an extent, I guess Chris Bogosh as well. They do white trash really well. I don't know yeah. if they actually are in real life. It's fine. I don't mean to use that term in a reductive sense, but literally every single one of his movies, with the exception of Tangerine, which includes a lot of white trash, even though the characters, main characters, are not white. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just very. 
it feels really realistic in the sense that it is dirt nasty. And that is absolutely a Simon Rex pun too, because that used to be his rap. Um, his but rap also name. I think there's like a humanity to it as well. Like yeah. I never feel like, I, I think they're pointing It never the feels finger like a caricature or he's doing it at anyone's expense. Right. I never feel like, I feel like the Simon Rex character is very clearly a joke in this movie, but none of the other people in this very, like, small kind of poor town in Texas, I feel like, are This is Gulf, Texas, too. This is Galveston yeah. area, if y'all need to, if y'all need to know, because there is a, it is a different Texas. Yeah, very. I don't feel like any of those people are viewed in a sort of condescending or sort of like, ha ha ha, look at all these, like, hicks, basically. Yeah. You know, the Simon Rex character I've, is clearly a joke here, but I don't feel this is, this doesn't feel like, like, hillbilly elegy poverty porn at all. It's just sort of like, this is how some people live, and, you know, there are loverable, quirky people who live in these pockets of the country. And their goal is not necessarily to always make it out, or like, right. you know, I have to do better than this because I'm a better person than all the poor people! It's right. very much some, so some just Some people like, just want to, like scrounge up enough They're, money to like treat themselves to a donut yeah. or something like that yeah. yeah or a lot of them in this yeah. case there's a lot there's of a lot of donuts that's a big thing with sean baker's movies because i mean a good majority of tangerine takes place at donut time as well right the one in this movie is called the donut hole that being said they're both real places because <laughs> donut time is very well known in la um across a lot of drag queen and trans people as the spot for hookers which is also all of what, what tangerine is about all of so, what tangerine's about yeah. so it's very realistic in that sense um, i just like the dirty joke of that this place happens to be called donut hole too considering the whole like graphic kind of pervy sexual yeah. side of this movie as well yeah because there is that as well that was the part i will be honest i am not uh -huh. someone i do not put down movies for making me feel uncomfortable but i will not i will not shy away from admitting that i was um I don't think anything got taken away from the fact that he consistently is fucking a 17-year-old in this and very no, graphically. Yeah. Um, there, there is a clear major subplot of this movie that is about him sort of coaxing an underage girl to sort of take her away to be a porn star. And, you know, it is it is shocking and it is like, I, I will admit, like, it is very uncomfortable to watch, but I think it is... it. <sighs> The parts of it that play for comedy, I think, are played in a way that is not sort of like does not take this situation at for light in a lighthearted way if that makes any sense i think the movie understands this is a clearly like very morally wrong uncomfortable thing that he's doing oh but yeah also knows how to play a joke out of it of of like that is against him if that makes sense yeah yeah but i just found i found the third act even though i got crazy i found the film to drag i think there is a okay. great i think there is a great like 95 minute movie in this mm -hmm. and that is not something that sean baker is unfamiliar with tangerine's 88 minutes long and it's my favorite one of his movies it's fabulous i think it's a, a, a all like an underrated masterpiece and i think the florida project's great too though that longer runtime i feel like is more deserved than this one this one is like two hours and 10 minutes and god damn it it is just a little bit there's just a, so many times i feel like they can replay the same scene where he makes donut hole jokes with the girl in the shop yeah there's a lot uh, of that but like again i feel like i'm in the minority on this as well so. i i think it'll be it's a like asking me movie. about dune it's like mm, i i'll <laughs> I, give you I, my I, opinion but i'm not the one to ask yeah i i think this will be a divisive movie when it comes out in december i do not think it'll be as sort of universally received as like the florida project because i that's just a more like 
lovable, cuddly, sweet movie than, you know, this this is intentionally nasty and sort of like raunchy and provocative yeah. and is is trying to make you uncomfortable in sections. Um, but you know, just have to shout out Simon Rex again. Just what a hilarious performance it is. I thought. Yeah. I agree. Um, let's quickly talk through some of the other movies. Uh, you and I both saw French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie. It's fine. What? What? what did, you thought it was fine? I, I thought it was. I thought it was good. It's Wes Anderson and his most Wes Anderson, and I'm not yes. complaining about that. The, I think a it's lot the of Wes people Anderson are. dial turned up to eleven. But to use a I also think it is a little bit style over substance, just a smidge. I still liked it. I yeah. still think that there is enough style that is so unique and so singular to Wes Anderson that I don't think mm-hmm. I'll ever tire of it. Mm-hmm. I say is I really didn't like Isle of Dogs, which was his second most recent movie. But yeah, I didn't. Um, but like, I think for like live action Anderson and just like, just I mean, it's so every it's so his style now. There's not like the paired back kind of Moonrise Kingdom or like Darjeeling Limited, even though I don't really like Darjeeling Limited either. Mm-hmm. Um, like pullback of his style. He's going whole ass into this mm-hmm. and. I appreciate that. I do think there are some parts where I'm just like, okay, like, you know, I just don't think, I feel like there's a great HBO miniseries in this. Interesting. Yeah. I think I it's like a I, great 30 minute, like 30 minute chunks for yeah. like six episodes, as opposed to three, you know, 30 minute chunks in a movie. I think it would work better in an episodic, almost anthology format. And I think, I don't know, it, it, there was just yeah. something about it. I was like, this could have been a great launching point for, like, kind of merging the world of, like, film and TV, but we're still here. And that's, like, that's fine. But I both wanted a little bit, slightly just a little bit more from it, but also at the same time, I will never turn down anything that's just pure Wes Anderson. Because it's just pre- it's just lovely. Even if you can, like, tune out of some of the, like, tonal or pacing consistencies in it it's Mm -hmm. like it's still just a joy to watch yeah i would maybe curiously disagree with the the miniseries thing if only because i think this movie is moving so fast this movie kind of is like the wes anderson equivalent of like throwing spaghetti at the wall like it both it both feels as sort of like tightly controlled and sort of like precisely composed as all of his movies do but also it feels like his most kind of like flying by the seat of his pants. And uh, I, 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 I sort of understand, like, I agree with everything you say while also like maybe had a little bit more fun in the sense of like, kind of enjoying him just going buck wild and of just like, I never said I didn't enjoy that. No, no, no. I, I just mean like, like I I'm fine with kind of like him this movie maybe having less substance and just being like a constant barrage of like him wanting to play around with stuff of like i i at least kind of got a little bit the enjoyment i got out of it was like he's just trying to have fun and like let letting his freak fly and just sort of do whatever flourish he wants and um i i weirdly don't think it would necessarily work as a miniseries of only because i think if you take these like little segments of the movie out of each other, then I think they feel even more trite and sort of like empty, but it, it, it gave me not that it's like a substantive movie, but I think it worked more when it's just sort of like before you're, you're like 
finished with one, it's already moving on to the next thing of like, it's so like breakneck in its pace. And it's just him being like, um, but then, uh, what about this thing? And then, Oh wait, this thing is like, we're going to change the aspect ratio. Wait, black and white. And, and kind of enjoying that kind of like grab bag speed of it. Um, so I don't know. I don't think it's like one of his best movies. It's certainly not like on the level of like a Royal Tenenbaums or a, uh, um, a Grand Budapest Hotel, but I, I think it's it's like a solid like in the middle of like I I had fun just as like a wacky style experience from him. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it's a shit ton of style, and like it would be hard for this movie not to be style over substance. Like mm-hmm. even if it had a ton of substance, that's a lot of that's a lot that it has to cover. So that's not used as an insult. It's just used no. as a casual observation of a lot of Wes Anderson stuff, in that. It can be both substantial, but also, you know, the style, I think, is always the more important element of Wes Anderson's work. Yes. Um, it's just a some... nice, it's nice when they can just match up, though. Right. Um. So what were some other things you saw? Um. I know I saw, like, quite a few movies that I think will probably be in the, like, international competition this year at the Oscars. I saw A Hero, which is the new Asar Fahari movie. Um. You know, pretty pretty standard for what you would think of his movies i mean just another like like really well-made well-acted kind of moral drama about everyday people who find themselves in incredibly stressful situations um hand of god which is the new uh film from pablo sorrentino or paulo sorrentino um i really liked it i think netflix is releasing it in the next month yeah or two months i'll be honest i kind of regret seeing red rocket over uh over, over this movie over that one yeah i because i i changed my ticket at the last second because i was like chris bagosh is here also everyone who i've like waited two years to see is going to this and also like i don't i don't know there's just a part of me i'm like i kind of wish i'd seen it on the big screen but also yeah. i'm glad i saw red rocket as well but right you know yeah, this the hand of god is definitely one you'll want to see on a big screen if you can like if the theater you work at plays it somehow um we don't do much foreign stuff i wish we did i keep trying to tell them but they also don't make money and unfortunately we are business at the end of the day r.i.p um but no i mean this is him uh you know doing essentially kind of his roma it's about like him growing up um as a teenager in the 1980s and about what happened to his family one summer the the summer that uh, soccer player Diego Maradona came to Napoli. Um, that's where the sort of title comes from. Uh, I don't really want to say too much more, but you know, it's it's if you're familiar with Sorrentino's other work, whether it be oh, like I the, love the Young Pope it. or the the Great Beauty, like it is him doing the like. This maybe has a little bit more of like an emotional through line than some. I was gonna say it stuff. always seemed a little bit more like grounded than some of his other yeah, work because he can get fucking crazy sometimes. Did yeah, you ever see Youth? I didn't, but I can. I can say this is definitely. Paul Dano toning... up as Hitler in that. Oh wow, it's a lot. That's the Michael Caine one, right? Yeah, it's actually really okay. good. I really do yeah. like Youth, but it is definitely. I don't think his style in terms of like trying to pare it back necessarily mm-hmm. works in a cinematic sense as much as it does in like the debaucherous young slash new yeah. pope sense yeah this this is definitely it's not quite the craziness of something like the the young pope or the new pope um but it 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 still has him like you know he is still very clearly trying to be federico fellini 
and that may be a little bit derivative, but also what a director to try and yeah. mimic. Um, so, you know, there's still kind of like the extraordinary visual flourishes and kind of surreal moments that you would expect from his work just in, you know, a more kind of grounded, intimate, um, personal story. Yeah. And the other film I saw, the only other one, uh, is an, also an Italian movie from Jonas, uh, I think it's actually Jonas, Jonas Carpignano's, uh, Akihara. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was good. I wasn't blown away by it. It was definitely like, it was another movie that I thought was way too long. Mm-hmm. Um, it is absolutely the definition of a slow burn, but it's kind of a cool deconstruction of like the, like mafia movie mm-hmm. as well. Cause it takes, it's like a big mafia. I don't think he's a boss, but like a regional leader has to go into hiding and it affects his family after uh they all discover that he's been working with the mafia this entire time which i feel like was pretty obvious from the start but they're all shocked by it um and it's it's the emotional toll that it takes on the family but most importantly the middle child uh kiara who is really trying to find answers about what happened to her father, whether or not he's still alive and where he's being hidden and what the fucking deal is. Cause no one's telling her anything. Cause you know, people don't talk, but she's shaking up trouble by asking questions. And it is, it is a slow burn, but when it gets good, it's very good. And Swami Rotolo, who is the main actress in it, she plays Kiara. She acts with a lot of her own family in the film. Like her family is played by a lot of members of her family and, in the film and she's just fucking tremendous in it her performance is so good i don't know when neon's releasing it but i i had a good time with it but there were definitely parts where i was like we could have cut this entire segment out it's just a little it's a little long again a great 95 minute movie in here Mm -hmm. but um but yeah it's very very gritty very it takes it's like takes place near naples in calabria but a little bit away from there it's a much smaller story and just gritty it's shot on 35 and 16 mil so it's like it comes across very quickly of the type of film this is trying to be and for the most part i think it succeeds i just think there's just some major pacing issues that could be scaled back a little bit yeah well uh that we'll kind of wrap it up with talking about film fest 9109 but just uh again like a big shout out to everyone who put on that festival and i think you and i both saw you know, some, some interesting stuff that I think people can kind of check out in, in the coming months. And yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed everything I saw. It's just some more than others. Yeah. Um, shall we fly over the Soho to London? We have Uh, very different opinions, I think. uh, They're not very different. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I don't, I don't think, um, this will be an interesting conversation. So we're going to talk about last night in Soho, which is, the long-awaited horror thriller from Edgar Wright um, was delayed by the pandemic. Now it has finally arrived in perfect timing for Halloween weekend, I think. Um, also because Dune took its initial release date and they got scared and pushed it back a week. I think for the best. Oh, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good weekend to have it. I, I enjoyed going to a a, a horror movie. Um, would you consider this horror? I guess I would consider this horror. Um, I would consider it very light horror, even though yes. it is rated R and it does have a fair amount of violence in it. I think the scares of this are definitely more based in like fantasy and like right. kind of almost true crime, like a mixture of like fantasy and true crime as opposed to straight up horror. Mm-hmm. It's not quite like 
as horror based as a lot of the films it's influenced by like Suspiria or uh like Deep Red or the the plant some of the Polanski thrillers yeah or like Repulsion yeah it's very Repulsion-y um so it it yeah I just I fucking loved this movie yeah, so I'll I'll give like a brief description of it, and then we can like really dive into it because there's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so basically, stars Thomas and Mackenzie. Ah, and- I love her so much. I love <laughs> she, her so much. I've loved great. her since Leave No Trace, and now and same with Anya Taylor Joy since The Witch, and I now get to bear my fruits of everyone loving them, which usually gets on my nerves, but this time it's so deserved for both of them. Yeah. Um. So Thomas and Mackenzie plays a a young wannabe fashion designer. She goes to the L- London College of Fashion. Doesn't really fit in with her her classmates in the dorm room, so she buys an or a you know rents an apartment, um, owned by a a sweet little old lady played by Diana Rigg um, at night. Yes. RIP to the great Diana Rigg um, at night. Our dear Thomas and McKenzie has these dreamlike fantasies where she seems to travel back in time to London in the 1960s. I think it's 65. If I'm going off of the Thunderball. The Thunderball poster. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like probably, the main thing. That's the big signifier. Um, and she mentioned that the Thomas and McKenzie character, you know, talks about as she, um, moves to London like man I wish I could have lived here in the 1960s it no been so you just glamorous. like the, you just like the style dear heart you don't want to go back to the <laughs> 60s as a woman I mean granted she learns that very quickly she learns that very quickly so she she seems to teleport back to the 1960s through her dreams at in the body of a very glamorous young woman played by Anya Taylor Joy who is trying to get into the entertainment industry and swing in 60s London and it at first seems like this exciting kind of way to relive the past and and, and like a whirlwind be- love story and like right. a star is born type of thing and it turns very different very yes different. then it quickly turns um much more sinister and we learn that maybe it's the past isn't always what we remember it to be um no. I, I i think uh i'll i'll toss the ball to you i'll just say i think there is a the my favorite thing about this movie is i think there is a I love the sort of like metaphor and concept that this movie center about like nostalgia and about like whether it's another period in time, like decades in the past, or whether it's even like a moment in our own life, or even you can apply it to sort of like, this is an original movie from Edgar Wright. And that is coming out in a Hollywood that is making money off of nostalgia. And what do we lose when we focus too much on nostalgia and what is, you know, the danger of uh, focusing on nostalgia and how we remember the past fondly, like, you know, whether it's, oh, I wish I could have lived in the 60s because all the glamorous style, but you don't remember, like, you know, the casual sexism and stuff like that. Or, you know, in your own life of being like, wow, I wish I that, you know, it was so great when I lived in this spot or when I dated this person. But then, you know, you don't always you're you're looking at the past with rose colored goggles it seems. oh it's so like I, when i it's like when i love to i'm like i love 90s teen movies and early 2000s teen stuff and then i go watch it and it's all horribly homophobic and terrible and i'm <laughs> yes. like oh wait that's right i i i can enjoy this but also god damn it i'm so glad i didn't live in that time yeah so i mean you talk more because i think you came out of this and you know 
singing its praise and i think this oh, really really worked yeah. for you so um i know this movie's polarizing um i think everyone else on the opposite side of me can eat shit um this movie is fabulous just kidding um you can tell i'm having a tough time right now because i'm getting defensive about my film opinions that being said um i it's okay a ghost man's coming to pat you on the back right oh <laughs> i love i just loved this i think it is such a wonderful exercise in style and mm-hmm. but also i find that there is a lot to be said here about the actual story as well it's not an empty story no line by any stretch of the imagination if anything this is kind of a kitchen sink movie a little bit um there's a lot going on all at once but i find that i think everyone who is a part of this is insanely game with whatever's going on and i think going with even the crazier parts of this film particularly when it gets to the third act Mm -hmm. um it still very much so works for me i know a lot of people have an issue with the third act but and i can see where people definitely had an issue with kind of where the film I don't want to say goes off the rails because it's really not that crazy, but like, yeah. Do you does... do you want to talk about spoilers? Because I feel like no. we can kind of vaguely talk about. The, um, it the... just it just definitely gets more. It just gets a little bit more horror, explicit horror towards the end, and it's mm. much more fantastical than the. I mean, granted, none of the film is grounded in reality. The second she wakes up as Annie Taylor Joy in the sixties, we are dealing right. with something very different here. But it definitely gets a lot, a little bit more in your face towards the end. But at the same time, considering the type of films, again, like we talked about, that it is referencing, mm-hmm. I think it is entirely deserved. I think, like, mm-hmm. I think what he's trying to balance with like sixties mod, but also Italian Jallo, but also like again that kind of quiet female focus story of like a psyche breaking apart like rosemary's baby or repulsion Mm -hmm. i think it all comes together really well because i think Wright knows what the fuck he's talking about and that he he knows his references and he knows how to hit them and i think he knows that or i think everyone who works with him knows that he will go generally in the right direction not always there's are you are you an edgar wright fan i'm a fan but i'm not a stan i'm just i like i like his stuff i thought baby driver was overrated okay um but what's, i mean what's your favorite one uh i mean if you can choose i just i like hot fuzz okay yeah i mean i was gonna say Shaun of the dead because it's like the 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 original you know it's the, the, it's the one that kind of like was his big kind of map, like yeah. on the scene movie yeah. i think hot fuzz is his funniest Mm-hmm. That being said, honestly, I think Last Night in Soho is probably my favorite movie he's made, though. Okay. I'd, I would I'd say probably, so. Yeah, it's a neck and neck for me between Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim are probably, like, my two favorites. I've never seen Scott Pilgrim. Oh. I know, I know. Shut up. Shut up. It's like my- That's it's not a mark of, my, of shame. I was just going to make a joke about, like, my... a very- one of, one of the, like- you know when people when people older than us talk about like i was there like when the like blade runner or big lebowski was like just this weird cult thing yeah and then and then i saw it grew like that's kind of my experience to scott pilgrim was like this weird movie that flopped that just like only my high school friends and i were into and i was like i guess no one else likes this but then now is like pretty well beloved and looking back on it now it's like yeah not surprising at all that a bunch of like skinny white suburban kids that were really into indie rock were like obsessed with this movie yeah Um, and i wasn't really ever that person either so uh i don't know how much i would love it that being said i am a massive mary elizabeth winstead stan and this was 
not one of her first films because i love some of her older stuff like when she mm-hmm. was just kind of like a screen queen but this was really one of her first ones where it was like she got a big role that yeah. wasn't like directly just a genre film and i hate saying just a genre film because that sounds condescending but you know who you're talking to yeah here. that's um, also a movie that's got such a like stack cast of people and like half of them were we're just on the cusp of being big, really famous. Yeah. yeah. Like Chris Evans and or I mean, Brie Larson having like yeah. two scenes in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I haven't seen it, but I mean, I've, I've heard it's great, but it's also not something that I'm like, I need mm-hmm. to see this now. I know a lot of people were going crazy about its 10th anniversary and it was back in theaters, but I still didn't go see it. Um, but yeah, I really just like this because, I mean, it speaks to a lot of the types of films that I like. Of course, mm-hmm. this movie was going to speak to me of like, right. I love I love all of the movies that it's referencing. That is my type of cinema. And even in like, even when this film kind of takes broad swings, I think it still lands, at least for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm also already standing pretty close to it. So it's like, it's hard to miss. Um, but I have seen like... I don't know. I feel like some people just don't know. I hate being like, they don't know what they're talking about, but I just feel like sometimes the references go a little bit like under the radar and people don't Mm -hmm. necessarily pick up on those things of like, this is how it's literally supposed to be. Like, I know that it might rub you the wrong way a little bit, but that's literally just how shit was, you know, Mm -hmm. like these are the type, like those are the types of films he's trying to emulate. He's not trying to, he's, doing new stuff but it's not necessarily always that i also have seen a lot of people complaining about this movie being very sex negative and being like misogynistic and i don't know where the fuck that is coming from i've seen people be like it's one of the most sex negative movies i've ever seen i'm like um that seems like a dumb criticism that like the movie about misogyny is misogynistic yeah i'm like it's a stupid criticism they're like it's so sex negative i'm like yeah because sex was negative for her it was a bad experience like I mean, we're not going to go into details, but like, yeah, of course it's sex negative. It's not trying to make, it's not trying to be, you know, it's not like Red Rocket. It's not like where it's like casual and shit. It's, it's very much so a movie where the characters in this aren't necessarily the type of people who are going to be having these, those great reactions to it. And with Sandy's storyline, she gets like very mistreated and that's a part of the story if you don't like that i'm sorry i don't really want to sound like a republican right now but like it really is just one of those like i'm so sorry this isn't catering just to your needs as like a viewer but um maybe learn to think critically a little bit i don't know and that's the thing it's like i'm all about people like criticizing a film for legitimate reasons it's just i've seen a lot of illegitimate criticisms of last night in soho that i think is really indicative of a lot of film twitter of like Mm -hmm. oh you didn't like that movie i didn't either but i liked it for a different reason and here's the hill i'm gonna die on and it's like Uh that hill is incredibly wrong like it's not even like an opinion thing it's like you're wrong um but yeah i definitely see where some people can think that this is it is like again it is kitchen sink it is throwing spaghetti at the wall Mm. and some people's walls are a little bit more spaghetti resistant i find and um mine sticks really well with this particularly and i just loved it i think this is 
it is very much so a type of film made directly for me though so maybe i'm not the type of person to yeah, ask th- about this it, is as i was watching it i was like this is almost like someone just sort of like plucked random things of hunter's yeah. personality and just like threw i them love into it. a blender. i love it so much it's just yeah i was uh god i yeah, need to go see I, this movie again it made me feel happy and like that i haven't had a movie like really make me like oh like just not even not even knock me over and like it's not the best movie i've seen this year mm-hmm. i saw two of the best movies i've seen this year at film fest 919 but there was just something again it just spoke to spoke to my spirit of like when i think of like the type of movies i would hang posters up in my room for it's mm-hmm. like it's very similar to a lot of what's going on in this film and also i've also been a massive proponent of Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor Joy for such a long time and seeing them mm-hmm. get something, particularly Thomas and McKenzie getting something so meaty where she gets to really I think it's one of the first films where she really gets to show off like her the talent that I got to see in Leave No Trace that a lot it of It really people shows she seen. can carry a movie on her yes. own, pretty much. And like and that's the thing. It's like Anya Taylor Joy is a big part of this movie. It's not her movie though. It's Thomas mm-hmm. McKenzie's movie. I just think obviously like Anya's the marketable one she's the queen's gambit she's Mm -hmm. you know all of these different things and you know obviously she has like the big musical numbers in this too which are really well I think well done but Mm -hmm. um I've been singing downtown like it's no one's fucking business (laughs) for the past five days um but yeah I mean other than that like I I yeah it just yeah yeah um I, I it's weird the one crit some of those criticisms you mentioned are, are stuff that like i i haven't been reading a lot of what people have been writing about this movie so i haven't I even stopped. seen those i stopped but, but the one tweets, the one criticism show up I, on my twi- timeline regardless of if i yeah. read them or not though the one criticism i did see that i i will agree with is i think people talking about the ending um i i'd heard people like talk about like different points of the movie that it sort of turns for them for, for me i think just like the final act of the movie um, in a, the biggest way possible, I think there it makes a turn that I just sort of didn't buy, um, and and was just sort of like I don't I don't really buy that this character is doing this, and I think some of the the way that kind of twist kind of undercuts I think some of the ideas that the yeah. movie's working with that isn't really necessarily like I think that's kind of like a you know, a limp for the movie of just sort of like, yeah. you know, it, it is unfortunate when the movie sends you out and is like, man, it kind of feels like the the plane as it was landing sort of skirted off the runway and then crashed into a field or something and and was sort of like didn't fully live up. Um, my kind of the, like big... These are Asiana Airlines flight, was it 585 or the Air France one? And I'm sorry, I know a lot about plane crashes. I okay. literally, when, when you were saying that, I was like, imagine, I was like... You were which like, one which was, one was that? Which one? It, well, it's either, either or. I mean... The Air France one goes off the end of the runway at Toronto, but the Asiana Airlines flight in San Francisco lands a little bit short of it. Yeah, oh, I knows? think God. I think my kind of big takeaway from the movie, I'm I'm sort of mixed on it. There's a lot I really like in it, and but it also sort of like the more time that passes in the I guess like day since I saw it, the less it's sticking with me. Um, and, and for I me, think... it's the opposite. Really? When I saw okay. it, I was like, uh, as it was going, I was like, oh, this is good. Cool. And then it ended and I was like, wait a second. Now that this is all coming together and especially yeah. now that it sat with me, it's grown. But I also very frequently experience those uh, those emotions as well of like, let me just go in and change my letterbox score real quick so people yeah. don't notice. I, I can think, see that. 
I think for me, it is, um, I think this is a movie that is less than the sum of its parts for me of like all the components in it. I really love this cast and this cast. I agree with you. Um, even people we didn't talk about, like, Terrence um, Stamp is so good in this. Diana Rigg really is so good in this. Really fun casting of having, like, Terrence Stamp and Diana Rigg who give this that kind of authenticity of, like, you know, they were the, like, Matt Smith and Anya Taylor-Joys for their generations, the sort of, like, hot young yeah. English sex symbols. Also, um, Rita Tushingham is um, the grandmother. She was in a yeah. lot of those films of that time period. Like, it, it, it she, he's plucking people who were there it's not even like you're old enough that you could have been there like you know these were people who were actively a part of that pop culture at the time right and like i said i i love the theme of this movie i think edgar wright is a filmmaker who i really get excited for this is probably my least favorite thing he's done but i will still gladly give like gladly go see anything he does and like please hollywood keep like letting him make original movies and he as a filmmaker just has style for days his movies are so kinetic and propulsive and and pop and colorful and exciting and funny and i had a lot of fun watching this for long stretches of it but i think what's making it sort of stick a little bit less as time goes on is he is cribbing from all of these kind of like very hysterical thrillers like the Jalo stuff you mentioned or the Roman Polanski thrillers. But I think, and I, I, I wonder if Edgar Wright could make a movie like those. And I was sort of expecting like, you know, he's such a whiz bang director in terms of his style and the way he's moving the camera around and doing these insert shots and these sort of like very pop aggressive soundtracks. And I think he could do a very like assaultive movie but maybe not, because I think the more I think about this movie and I think about Wright's work, he is he's not a provocateur. He's an entertainer. And that's not necessarily a criticism, but I think there is an aspect of wanting th- this movie feels like it's holding back a little bit. And I almost wish these movies that he's cribbing from, which really will send you out into the world after like your ears ringing and kind of like shaking and I don't really feel like he wants to do that because he's much more of an entertainer. You know, he wants to give you yeah. a little bit of the cream and sugar in your coffee. You know, the the way this movie ends with the last scene, which that's all I'll say, but, you know, you've seen it, so you know. I feel like is a way to give you a little bit of, like, a warm hug at the end of, like, it's, it's going to be okay. It was definitely and, a little bit of, like, the like, this last scene, is it necessary? Not really. Did it yeah. make me go work, bitch? Yes. <laughs> I'm and, like, and yes. I like. I don't know. For me, yeah. it definitely was that warm hug. But I also, I think the last little flourish of it, the last little bit, yeah, right before the cut to the credits, was to me that warm hug of like, okay, maybe this wasn't necessarily as maybe not sinister, but just like, you know, I don't know. There, yeah. there is a lot going on, but I just like. I, yeah i i just feel like for me i enjoy like i said i really enjoy long stretches of this movie and there you know the the camera work and the production design and 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 the performances like it's so electric to watch in so many sections but at the end i just felt a little i felt pretty underwhelmed because i felt like he was sort of cribbing from all of these movies that are like really assaultive and really disorienting and crazy and he skirts up to the line of that, but he does he doesn't want to sort of like throw you off that much as an audience member. You know, it's a little bit of like, 
you talked about Baby Driver, and I probably I haven't seen that movie really since the theaters, so like I don't know what I think of it now. Yeah, it's but aged I, I, just wonderful. Yeah, just con- great. Unique, sort of unfortunate uh, casting choices Everything. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do remember like when that came out. Sort of the one kind of complaint I had against it was sort of uh you know even before some of the the controversy Ansel Elgort has found himself in you know the there's something about just Ansel Elgort, Ansel Elgort? well <laughs> my complaint being even at the time about Ansel Elgort of like there's something about his cuddliness <laughs> that I I felt like as entertaining and like incredibly stylish as that movie was wanting a little bit more steeliness in that he was sort of like making a movie inspired by these sort of steely stylish crime movies like the driver, but the sort of like warm cuddly aspect of it um, sort of it, it, it felt like you're doing the more kind of lovable approachable version of this. And that's sort of how I feel about this movie is being like, he's trying to make a, a Polanski thriller. He's trying to make a Giallo thriller, but one that, is maybe not going to be as kind of like assaultive and as sort of provocative to you as an audience member as some of those movies he's cribbing from. And that made it feel a little, a little less to me. And, and so, like I say, that's why I'm kind of a little mixed on it of like, I think it's fun for long stretches. There's a lot of it that I was wowed by, but I just sort of left pretty underwhelmed and feel like it didn't quite, I feel like, he is not kind of the his sort of tendency and what makes him really great as a pop very like Edgar Wright is like a pop song like a really like fun infectious energy do you know who maybe, the fuck you're talking to like yeah of course <laughs> maybe doesn't fully work for a movie that I want to sort of like terrify and unsettle me if that makes sense Hunter's giving me a death glare. I'm not giving you a death glare. <laughs> I'm not. Leave me alone. Say cribbing one more time. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage people to check it out, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> like if you are a proponent of original cinema, even if you don't like it, I still think you need to go see it just to just show that like we still want movies like this. Yes. Like, and I hope want, it, I hope it does wind up in the awards conversation for like the cinematography and costume like, design is also great. Yeah, I mean the it, production stands, design. it stands no fucking chance against like Spencer or anything like yeah. that, but like it'd be nice to see it in there. I yeah. think like you said, I think it is a little too pop well too pop art to yeah be a, a major player i don't but, think it was ever a major player but. right but there there's like tricks he's doing with like the camera and with mirrors and stuff that i was just sort of like wanted to stand up in moments and be like bravo sir bro yeah. well just like that's just mastery of like understanding how to move the camera and how to block yeah. and stuff like that yeah um you want to you you want to start off on a, a final segment we like to call rantlers yeah, um, so I saw Antlers also, which was a movie I was really excited about. Another movie that got fucked by the pandemic. It was supposed to come out, I think it was supposed to come out, like, last January-ish, but then it got delayed for, like, movie reasons, and then yes. it was supposed to come out in April, and then that got really screwed over, because it got pushed back to, like, I think July, and then it just kept, and then it was just ripped off of the Disney schedule. Um, released by Searchlight Pictures, so it is a Disney movie, despite the fact it being a pretty nasty horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's produced by Guillermo del Toro, directed by Scott Cooper, who I think is um, 
is a a good director and and making kind of gritty he's kind of like a hyper masculinized version of like I don't know, like a Deborah Granick type almost, but like if we're going off of uh Leave No Trace and Thomas and McKenzie. But like it's very good, a very good Americana director. And I can't go there. I don't really like his movies, but you know, he fair. certainly is very Americana in his yeah. his style. Um and this is his first horror film, and like obviously having cosine of Guillermo del Toro as a part of it is really cool Mm -hmm. uh it's a film takes place in rural like coastal oregon um in this very small town very um very poor meth-addled uh mostly white but also has a a big native population as well and um a big part of this film is about a a little boy whose dad is a, a a meth maker he and one day he gets sick from something within the mind him and his little brother and they start noticing these like changes that are happening with him and um soon there are these once they kind of lose track of these two people there are these really violent murders going on in the area that look like they're being um made by these like creature and it ends up being a big parable on the native american wendigo which uh has been done in other films and other video games particularly until dawn is one that i really like uh larry fessenden does that really well um and there are parts of this movie i liked in that i think it is atmospheric as hell i think Mm -hmm. the way and again the way in which scott cooper approaches the americana of it all of like this is backwoods like pacific northwest it is very specific and it's very it just brings you into it it's cold it's really like off-putting and it really works for a horror film that's great i think the performances in this film are really good i think carrie russell is fabulous and i think jesse plemons is great two really underrated actors who i think are finally starting to get their uh get their recognition after a long time of putting in the work for it um the issue with this film though is that because it has such good building blocks i -hmm. think it approaches its material in more of a prestige drama sense which would make sense because it's like guillermo del toro has become more of that right and even when he does genre it's elevated it's very crimson peak you know all that now and the issue is that antlers tries to be both a prestige drama and a nasty ass horror film all at once and because of that it does not have the balance nor do i think cooper necessarily has the clearance to do either of those things particularly well i think he's trying to spend so many plates at once that he fucks it up and kind of knocks over every plate as opposed to just being really good at spinning one of them if this was a really slow burn kind of after the fact you don't see much of the horror type of horror film if it was really slow more drama just a dark drama i would have really liked it if it had just been like really good actors doing a nasty creature feature i would have also liked that 
the issue is I think it anticipates itself to be a much more compelling drama. And in that case, it starts to lean in a little bit more to its horror and the balance is just completely off and it's not particularly scary, but it's also not very compelling. It brings up a lot of plot points and a lot of questions that it never returns to uh, where it's just like, why, why is this main character like, why is the big parable that she's a victim of sexual abuse from her father? It has literally nothing to do with the plot, like at all. If you want to do that well, that's great. Put that in there. There's a way that you can really make like survival of sexual abuse or any other atrocities a really great parable for horror. But the fact is, there's just not that there. It's mm-hmm. just there to make it seem like it's a parable for something. And it's not. It's just there to make it seem deeper and then you realize that they have nothing deep to say on it i didn't hate the film by any means i just had a lot higher expectations for it with the names involved with it and it just unfortunately isn't nasty enough to stand on its own as a as a like creature feature but it also is not compelling enough to stand on its own as some sort of like prestige elevated horror thing it kind of falls in the middle and because of that it just kind of like flounders and fizzles out really quickly it's only 99 minutes with credits and i felt like i was there for like two and a half hours so i want to ask you one thing kind of like piggybacking off of that before we wrap up just because you are such a horror fan i heard someone talk about uh, uh i think someone tweet about oh no it was uh richard lawson i think with vanity fair who kind of mentioned seeing this movie and kind of it being this sort of like straw that broke the camel's back of being like i'm i'm done with this like prestige horror kind of like let's make the movie about like socio-political ideas movement that has kind of really blossomed post get out is is that something not, that you're you're I'm feeling as a horror it. fan i'm not over it i just want people to do it better because to it's do not it like well i mean horror's always been that that's the yeah. thing it's that it's always been a parable for something usually Mm -hmm. rarely is a movie just scary for the sake of being scary but i think now a lot of prestige filmmakers are coming in and they're like Mm -hmm. i can do this and they realize it's much easier for a horror filmmaker to do prestige horror than it is for a prestige director to come in and try their hand at a new genre which has completely different conventions than the type of films that you're normally used to making Mm -hmm. that's great if you have the clearance and you have the ability to balance that you know like i think edgar Mm -hmm. wright did well with last night in soho and that uh, sense of like he's made comedies he's made dramas he's made Mm -hmm. action films but Cooper doesn't have that really i always mm-hmm. kind of liked his work and i thought it would lend well to this but unfortunately the horror doesn't land and and because it tries to focus a little bit more on that it just it, it just feels not well staged not or well executed, executed. Yeah. yeah and so i am not against it when it is um well done when it is fairly measured and kind of pulled out in a more subtle sense this movie was not that and i wish that i don't know again i find it a lot more successful when filmmakers who are well versed in horror try their hand at something a little bit more prestige and elevated more so than 
a big time director lowering themselves to horror standards when yeah or saying it, i'm gonna i'm gonna do an elevated horror movie yeah and it's like you yeah i, I, I think feel that's like what he, much more what lawson was getting at is this like, yeah these horror movies that are sort of like straining for self-importance or something yeah like and that. i don't know if antlers necessarily has self-importance but it's just like listen we can make a dark gritty really good looking horror film with really good direct or like a good director and really good actors in it and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this whole big thing it could just be a horror film that mm. being said you need to have someone there who knows how to stage and like execute horror well and this movie doesn't do that i wasn't particularly scared by it i found the big reveal of the monster at the end to be kind of underwhelming it mm. builds up to this whole big thing and like i don't know for a movie called antlers that had like pretty nasty trailers where i was like oh that's gonna be gross it was just very surface level but well, I don't think I don't think it it saw itself as that though. Well, that concludes Rantlers. Yikes! Um, yeah, it's Hunter, okay. It's just boring. I hate saying a movie's boring. It's just dull. Sometimes they're just boring. Sometimes I hate it because I was so excited for it. Hunter, thank you for for stopping by this week and discussing many of things. This is one what? of our longer episodes in a while. Jam packed. Hope everyone enjoyed your your ride to and from work because that's probably what <laughs> took this this episode coming up in the coming weeks on the latest next week um eternals i guess we'll see it can Bye. Chloe, i won't be here next week because i don't Chloe care Chow, uh you know re- give us the marvel movie that we've we've we haven't experienced before okay actually you know what i am gonna say something real quick i think a lot of people are piling onto this movie because it's cool to pile onto this movie and while i, I greatly um welcome anyone reading the shit out of marvel i do think it's a little convenient that like the first time that we get like a pretty diverse movie with like a cast of a lot of different races and um nationalities and sexualities directed by one of color it's suddenly the straw that breaks the camel's back here and that's when the marvel fatigue sets in and that feels a little coincidental to me that being said i am also very over marvel so i can't be that mad about it also the whole like tracking the film's uh rotten tomato score oh until God. it hit 59 percent. i was we just can't like, get into this i'm like this is bad this feels wrong i can't like y'all feel y'all are I can't just do my rotten this. tomatoes rant right now y'all are how... y'all are rooting for this movie to fail a little bit more than than a normal marvel movie and now it just feels a little convenient huh Either i way, reserve judgment on. until i see the movie Same. but but also i'm finding it like a little bizarre how people are sort of like rooting for it not to succeed that just feels weird to me anyway yeah, we should have been doing that a long fucking time ago <laughs> also where was that like we should have had that energy for black widow at least anyway also coming up this month uh a movie that um you know maybe i'll you know be forced to watch ghostbusters will tackle I will not. nostalgia on this show i will not and, not in my house um you know maybe we'll bring hunter back to talk about the the father son has gucci oh yeah that new trailer oh it is <laughs> it is a drag show of a movie i'm so excited and hunter Just do you wigs. do you know what else is coming this month resident evil new pta baby let's go okay um i saw a trailer for that yesterday before antlers and a it looked fabulous on the big screen but b i completely forgot sean penn was in it and that put a nasty taste in my mouth but i'll get over it let it be weird i'm so i'm just i'm just incredibly happy to see cooper hoffman doing something especially with pta of all people it just like it feels right
It's going to be a good month on the latest. 24th Subscribe. is a big day. There's a lot yeah. going on that day. So big Thanksgiving. Eight Get truly. ready.